Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. All right, well, we're continuing a series this morning that we're calling Blessed Life. It's based off of this book by Robert Morris that I've encouraged you to get a copy of and be reading with us. Hopefully you've been reading this book. Hopefully you've been talking about it in your, in your connect group family. If you've not got a copy, it's not too late. We'll be in this series for another couple of, of weeks. You can grab a copy in the lobby or buy one online. Really encourage you to, to get it and read it. It's going to be a blessing to you. Some of the things that we've talked about so far in this series, we've covered a lot of ground, but we started off just establishing that God wants you blessed. He is a good God. God wants to see his blessing really saturate every different area of your life. And we've read passages of scripture that talk about exactly that. Deuteronomy chapter 28, Psalm 127, where God will list different ways that he wants his blessing to affect your everyday life. But when you read about the blessing of God, it's always linked to whether or not you are willing to walk in obedience to his word or not. That's what it's dependent on. God wants to bless you. He wants you blessed more than you want to be blessed. The difference is he knows how to produce that blessing in your life. And it's not by you living according to what you think is best. It's by you choosing to submit yourself to the word of God and walk in obedience to it. And that's how you, we really get to experience the blessing, the blessing of God. So we've been talking about this, that the importance of having our hearts yielded to the Lord, genuinely yielded to the Lord. And one crucial area, a key area is in the area of finances and how we handle our money, that that area needs to be submitted to the Lord. That's an area that we, we need to have surrendered and be walking in obedience. Unfortunately, and it's, it's not coincidence, that, that is one of the most difficult areas for people to submit to the Lord. People will say, I love God with all my heart. I worship him. He's Lord of all. I would do anything for the Lord, but they keep their finances off limits. That, that's, that's not coincidence. It's a strategy of the enemy because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. So the enemy makes a, a strategic a strategic attempt to get you off in that area of your life. So we've been talking about giving. We've been talking about how to walk in obedience. A few weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about the giving ladder, which is an illustration we sometimes use when we talk about giving. In fact, we, we pulled a ladder out on, on the platform. And that illustration was just to try to get people to put themselves at some rung. You're, you're somewhere on this ladder. If not, you, you know, getting on the ladder is to be a first-time giver. But it's important for us to identify where we're at. If you've never given before towards the kingdom of God, you've never honored God in, in your giving, then your first step would be a first-time giver. Another rung on that ladder would be what we call an emotional giver. An emotional giver gives when they want, what they want, how they want, to who they want, and it's just dependent on what they're feeling that day, if they're feeling generous, what kind of mood you catch them in, but it's completely up to them. And there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that if they give it all, they stop 
at the rung of just being an emotional giver. It's just completely up to what they're feeling at the moment. Another level of giving, another rung on that ladder would be a, a consistent giver that a person gives consistently, but they're not at the level of honoring God with a tithe. And the tithe is the, the rung or the level that we really want to see everyone in our church family arrive at. And really it's the first level on the giving ladder that is in biblical obedience to honor God with the tithe. And in this series, we've taken time to talk about what the Bible has to say of tithing, that it's not just something we can say, hey, that was part of the law. We looked and saw that tithing was a way to honor God before there was a law, during the law, and after the law. We've talked about some key aspects of tithing. God says a tithe, that's 10%, belongs to the Lord. It's his, and he tells us what to do with it. He says to bring the whole tithe into the house of God. So sometimes people will say things like, no, I tithe, but the way that I tithe is I'm helping my cousin pay his utility bills, and that's, that's kind of my tithing. Well, if it, if it belongs to God, then God gets to tell us what to do with it. And he says to bring the tithe into his house so that there would be food in, in his house. We talked about that one of the aspects of the tithe is that it's the first 10%. Not the middle, not the last 10%. It's the first portion, our first fruits. A couple of reasons that's important, and we talked about more, but one is that when we give the first portion, it requires faith. You're not waiting and see if I've got enough left over at the end of the month. I'll give God the last tenth if we have enough. It takes faith to give God the first portion, and really faith is what God is after. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what's pleasing to the Lord. Not without money, it's impossible to please God. So really the faith part of it is the part that, that God is excited about. We also said that the first part is used to redeem the rest. That when we give God the first part, the rest has been redeemed. The curse has been lifted off of it, and now it's blessed. We, we talked about different areas in the Bible where you see that thing happening, where the, the first part redeems the rest. It's the story of the gospel, really, that God's first son was sacrificed, and by sacrificing the first son, God redeemed the rest of us that would come into the, into the family of God. We talked about even applying that to the way that we use our time. When you give God the first part, you redeem the rest of it. When you start your day, first thing you do, just begin to honor God and spend that time with the Lord, spend time with the Word. You're, you're redeeming. You're bringing God's blessing on the rest of the day by giving Him the first part. The reason we start our year with corporate fasting and prayer, we're giving God the first part and we're, we're, on, we're acknowledging, God, this entire year belongs to you. We wanna redeem the entire year by giving you the first part. The reason we're here on Sunday morning, this is the first part of the week. One of the many reasons church attendance is important, we come into God's house, God, this entire week belongs to you. I wanna redeem the entire week by making sure the first part belongs to the Lord. So that tithe level is a key level we want to see people arrive at, going back to the giving ladder. There's a step beyond that, which we call kingdom builder. That's giving offerings above and beyond the tithe. And really, until you are a tither, you can't give God an offering, anything above the tithe, until you first tithe. And a level we really want to aspire to arrive at would be a level above that we call being spirit-led givers. We want to be spirit-led givers. We can contrast that with an emotional giver. An emotional giver, again, gives what they want, when they want, to who they want, how they want. A spirit-led giver is living a life led by the Spirit of God that they're able to give 
Whatever God wants, whenever God wants it, God can move on their heart. God, they'll be obedient. God can funnel blessings through them. God can use them to answer prayers. It's one of the things I love about that testimony video that, that we heard just a moment ago, that God laid it on their heart to give in an extravagant way. And when they gave what God had spoke to their heart to give, they found out that, that, that those people had been praying for that exact thing. You know, I've said it many times, one of the best ways to learn how to hear the voice of God, if you want to be led by the Spirit, is in the area of giving, because it's, it's a safe arena to learn. Worst case scenario, you, you bless somebody. But it's so key to learn how to hear the voice of God. And if you paid attention to that testimony and some of the aspects of the story they're dealing with, trying to figure out job situation and moving and trying to hear God's, God's voice, do you think it was a confirmation as they're in this season of trying to hear the voice of God? When they, I feel like God's telling us to give in this extravagant way, spirit-led spirit giving, that when they gave, the people were able to say, this is the very thing we've been praying for. You think it was a confirmation? Like, man, I'm, I am hearing the voice of God. God, I know your voice. And it strengthened their faith. What a blessing it is and to be a spirit-led giver. We, we want to be people that are spirit-led givers. Amen? That we're able, God, whatever you want me to give, whenever you want me to give it, however, to whoever, whenever, God, I'm yielded. That's genuine yieldedness. We want a culture of generosity where God uses us to meet people's needs, to bring special offerings, what, what completely yielded to the Lord. Amen? You know, to walk to live a blessed life, you've got to find fulfillment. A fulfilled life is a blessed life. And one of the key ways to arrive there is walking in obedience. And obedience requires, requires trust, trusting the word of God. Let me read a few verses from Psalm 119. Psalm 119, starting in verse 1, it says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I command compare my life with your commands. And we could go, go on, but he's talking about the joy of, of people that walk in obedience to the word of God. It's one thing, it's one thing to say that you want to follow God. It's one thing to say, God, I want to honor you with my decisions. God, I want to honor you with my life. There's a difference between just lip service and actually arranging your life in alignment with the word of God. Actually taking steps of obedience and conducting your affairs, your relationships, your finances, actually obeying the word of God. And too often we let ourselves off the hook with a bunch of intentionality with a bunch of God, I want to serve you. God, I want to honor you. That is different than actually honoring God. And this passage is telling us, oh, the joy, oh, the joy of those that walk in obedience to your commands. God's commands aren't burdensome. God's commands don't weigh you down and slow you down. They are a blessing. They, they, that's how you have a blessed life, a fulfilled life, a joyful life is by walking in obedience. Again, listen to this passage. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all of their hearts. It, it, it fills you with joy when you bring your life into alignment with the word of God. Amen. Can anyone testify 
that that's been the case in their life, that when you started walking in obedience to God, it, it wasn't trouble for you, it was blessing for you. Disobedience caused trouble. Disobedience caused all kinds of problems in your life. When you tried to do it your own way, most of us can testify, my life was a mess until I started saying, God, I, I've made a mess of things. I'm going to start walking in obedience and owe oh, the joy to walk in obedience to God's word. And this area of our finances is so key that we walk in obedience. And there is a spiritual component, an enormously important spiritual component when we talk about giving. You know, there's resistance. You feel resistance when you talk about giving in, in church. And if there's a spiritual component, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against things in an unseen world, principalities, spiritual forces. There is a very real enemy at work that does not want people to walk in obedience, especially in this area, doesn't want them to know the joy, doesn't want them to know the fulfillment, doesn't want them to have impact on the kingdom of God, doesn't want their resources to be used to advance the kingdom of God, doesn't want you to have, to have impact. And so the enemy, the enemy can do a lot of damage by getting us off track in this area. As we've said before, where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. It affects your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart above all else because from it flow the issues of life. If he can get us off in this area that affects our heart, it affects every other aspect of, of our lives. This is such a key area for us to make sure that we have good understanding and we're walking in obedience, not to what we think is best, what we feel is best. What does God's word say? Amen. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we love you. I thank you for each person here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear. Father, with hearts that are tender and receptive, yielded to you. Father, give us grace, not to be just hearers, but to be doers, doers of your word, obedient. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16. I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about something, something that we can do in our lives that will actually make it an impossibility for you to serve God. There's something you can engage in that Jesus talks about in this passage that if you engage in it, something that you can, you can serve in your life, that if you serve this thing, it, it'll have such a deep and profound impact on your heart that the result will be that you will hate you will hate God. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 16, we'll start reading. Start reading in verse one. It says, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and to discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. 
And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Strikes me funny every time I read the word rascal. Jesus using the word rascal. The rich man had to admire that dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here is the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. So Jesus tells this story about a man who gets himself in trouble at work to the point where his, his boss says, I'm, gets things straightened out because I'm going to fire you. He realizes what a bad position he's in. And so he makes a decision to leverage, to leverage what's currently at his disposal, to, le to leverage the resources he has available to him currently to set him up for what was coming next. That he made a decision, what, what I've got around me now, what's available to me now, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to use that so that when I move on to the next phase, I'm going to be in good shape. And then Jesus says, the people of this world are more shrewd. They, they understand this. The people of this world get it. The people of this world know how to manipulate or use current situations, not just for the here and now, but to leverage it for the future. And he says, when it comes to the children of light, oftentimes they're too naive or they miss this principle. Now, Jesus isn't telling us we should manipulate and lie and, and, and be dishonest. That's why he clarifies, here, here is the lesson. Here is the point. Again, verse nine, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal to an eternal home. He's saying we've got to have that same kind of shrewdness and use the resources we have now in this world. He says to do good and to make friends. He's not talking about making friends like the prodigal son who used his father's wealth on wild living, you know, buying prostitutes for people and buying a round of drinks. He's not talking about using our resources to make friends like that. He's talking about leveraging what we have now for when we step into eternity that the way we manage our resources now shouldn't just be about what we can enjoy in the here and now, but to handle it in a way, in this phase of life, what we have access to, the, the resources at your disposal, to leverage them to set yourself up for what is coming next. Let's continue reading. Verse, verse 10. It says, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. We'll keep reading, but you know, that, that's an area where people often make an excuse for not giving, not tithing, not bringing offerings. That when they have more money, when I'm better off down the road, if I made the money that guy made, I'd be a giver too. Well, Jesus says that's not the truth. It's how you handle little things, it's the same way you'd handle if you had more. You've got to prove yourself faithful with little in order to qualify for more. He says in verse 10 again, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? 
And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus said it is impossible. It can't be done. You cannot serve money. You can't be enslaved to things. You can't have a heart that is devoted to acquiring more stuff, achieving more, getting more, accumulating more. If that's your heart, he says it is impossible to have that heart and also have a heart to serve God. You'll love one and hate the other. If you allow your affections, your devotion to go towards stuff, to go towards things, it will cause you to hate. It will cause you to hate God. This is a serious warning because it's very easy for people to fool themselves into thinking they love God when they don't love God. It's easy for people in their religiosity to think that they're devoted to God when really they they fall into the trap of serving things. You know, in the next verse, it says that that the Pharisees, well, we'll just read it, verse verse 14, it says, the Pharisees who dearly love their money heard all this and scoffed at him. That the religious people, when they heard Jesus talking about how you can't, you can't, you can't honor God. You can't love God and love things. Then when they heard Jesus talking like this, they scoffed. They rolled their eyes. They thought, they thought it was nonsense. He says, because they loved money. Well, if they loved money, you know what it reveals about their heart towards God. They actually, they actually hated, they hated God. So when you talk about, hey, let's, let's honor the Lord in our finances. Hey, let's talk about giving. If that irritates you when we talk about that, if you scoff at that kind of teaching, well, there was a group of people that, that scoffed at that as well. And it should be a red flag in our hearts when we talk about, hey, let's leverage our resources. Let's advance the kingdom of God. Hey, let's bring a special offering before the Lord so we can see the name of Jesus lifted up. If you scoff at that, if you roll your eyes, if that irritates you, it should be a, a, a cause for us to check our hearts and make sure that I really do, I should get excited about a special offering or an opportunity to honor the Lord with my wealth and advance the kingdom of God. And if that irritates me, I don't want to fall into the class of these religious people who thought they were devoted to God, but Jesus really knew their heart, their devotion was to money. And so they, they scoffed. It, it chafed them to talk about honoring God with their finances. You know, the word that's used where Jesus says your, your worldly wealth or earthly possessions in this passage comes from a word that can be translated as riches, and it carries the idea of what people put their trust in. Other translations translate it as mammon. King James says mammon. So there is a a spirit of mammon that affects people that instead of serving God, they begin to serve stuff and things, material wealth. It's a spirit of mammon. There's a spirit of mammon that wants to pull your affection away from God and for you to serve it. The spirit of mammon was actually a false god that the Babylonians worshiped. They worship a god by that name. And if you know the story of how there even came to be Babylonians, it comes from the story of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, that this group of people decided they were going to build a tower to, to reach heaven on their own in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for our, ourselves. This group of people who thought they didn't need to rely on God to make it to heaven. 
They thought that they figured out a strategy of relying on themselves, using their own resources, using their own money, using their own ingenuity, that they'd figured out a way that they could achieve that level on their own and that they didn't need God anymore. Now, we could talk about the whole idea of building a tower to reach heaven. And obviously, it's ridiculous, right? To think you could stack up stones and make a building and just make it higher and higher and higher to the point where you finally like arrive at the pearly gates and you step off of your tower into heaven. And you, I mean, it's, just, it's ridiculous, right? You, know, you could think about those people didn't have the insight. They didn't have the understanding. Like that, that's not how it works. You, you can't just build into outer space and you build your tower past Jupiter and you just keep on going. Things that they didn't understand. They didn't understand you're gonna start running out of oxygen and you leave our, our atmosphere and you're gonna move further and further away from the, the, the force of gravity and you're gonna try to stack stuff and it's just gonna go floating off. I mean, it's just so ridiculous to even think that way, right? But people still have that same manner of thinking when it comes to, to believing they can achieve fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose by their own uh, accumulating goods and achieving things in their own efforts. Just as ridiculous as it is for people to think they could stack up rocks and reach heaven, it's just as ridiculous when you and I start thinking that I can serve material things and find peace and fulfillment and joy. It's what only God can provide us. And that's where the spirit of mammon starts trying to replace God in in your life because only God can bring about fulfillment and peace and satisfaction. Mammon is a false God that those Babylonians serve and they might have had a temple and maybe bowed down to a little statue and called them by name. We might not do that, but there are still people even in the body of Christ that serve, that serve a spirit of mammon by thinking that instead of God bringing me fulfillment, instead of obedience to God is the way to joy, that stuff and more money is the way that I'll find fulfillment in this life. It's it's the same kind of attitude, the same kind of ridiculous approach to trying to find what only God can provide. Even when people find that mammon lets them down, what they do is they just lean in and desire to serve mammon even harder. Maybe you've experienced that to some extent, that you thought when you started making X amount of dollars, you'd really feel good about life. When I get my debt down to this level, when I eradicate that car payment, when I get rid of the credit card, man, I know, I know then I'm going to be able to, that's what's keeping me from feeling joy in my life. If I can get my 401k at, at this level, if I can get my savings, if I can just save up this, when I look at my bank account and I see X amount of dollars, that's when I'll really know peace. And when you cross that, that imaginary finish line and you don't have the peace that you thought you would, what do most people do? Instead of realizing the futility of that thinking, usually just say, you know what? I thought this was the line. It turns out it must be a little bit further down. I thought it was this amount. It must be this amount. And they just lean into their devotion of serving something that doesn't have the ability to provide you what you're looking for. That's why this is such a key area of our, of our lives. Jesus said, you, cannot, you can't live that way and serve God. They are mutually exclusive. And if you continue to do that, what will happen is eventually you will develop a hatred for the things of God in, in your heart. Again, verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved, or you cannot serve money. Can't, you can't serve both. Earlier in this series, one of the things that we talked about was how giving works selfishness out of our hearts. 
Selfishness is one of the, the biggest problems you deal with. We all deal with selfishness. Just your nature is to be selfish. So one of the, the blessings that giving provides is helps to work that out of our hearts. But we can approach giving in a way that instead of working selfishness out of our hearts, actually works selfishness back into our hearts. And uh, Robert Morris refers to it as giving to get. When we fall into a mindset, the only reason I give isn't because I want to be a giver. It's because really my heart is in being a, a getter. Then, then we're missing the point of it. And we're not really allowing God to work that selfishness out. We've allowed ourselves and teaching to be manipulated to where we're actually working selfishness back in. Now, having said that, we are, we are a church that believes in, in prosperity. Amen. That's not, maybe you didn't know that. What? Looking around. You know, I, one time I had someone come up to me and say, man, we, we used to go to this church and they, they were some of those like prosperity people. So it's so good to be out there. I've got bad news. <laughs> we're, we're prosperity people as well. God wants you to prosper. Prosperity is not a negative word. In fact, the Bible says God delights. He delights in the prosperity of his servant. That, that's in your Bible. Your Bible says God takes delight. He, he is pleased to see his servants prosper. But just like any other doctrine, doctrines can be manipulated and twisted and become warped and perverted. But just because they become warped and perverted, we, we don't throw out the whole thing. I'll, I'll use grace as an example because grace has less of a stigma attached to it. You know, grace is a biblical teaching. Amen? We're thankful for grace. You're familiar with this concept of grace, right? We love grace. Thank God for the, the grace of God. We appreciate the fact that God has been so gracious and kind. There's forgiveness of sins. How good and gracious God has, has been to us. We're thankful for that. But you know, there are people that take this teaching on grace and begin to twist it and manipulate it. And some people will teach grace and come away with the idea that because of the grace of God, that gives us license to sin. That, that, that God is so gracious that that means I can just go all in on pleasure. I can just keep asking, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for being so gracious. I'm just going to keep being a pervert. I'm just going to keep being a heathen. I'm just going to keep being a drunkard. I'm just going to keep being whatever it is. And, and just, you know, thank you for, for your grace. People teach that. Paul even came up against that when you read through the book of Romans. As he's teaching about, man, the beautiful grace of God. Some people were taking that and using it as license. Well, hey, if, if where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Well, hey, you know what? God's in for a treat because I'm going to let him just abound that grace all over. And they, they didn't understand that the way that grace works in our lives. So when we hear that, we don't say, hey, you know, some people have really twisted this whole teaching on grace. We're done with it. Grace is now a bad word. That, that would be foolish, right? Because there, there's something beautiful. We, we need the grace, the grace uh, of God. The, the grace of God doesn't give us license to sin. In my weakness, God's grace makes me strong to keep, I used to be weak in that area. Now I'm strengthened. I can walk in holiness and righteousness. That, that's, that's understanding the grace of God. So just because a doctrine or a teaching can be manipulated, we don't toss the whole thing out. The same thing can be said of this idea of prosperity. God wants to prosper us. God wants to bless us. The problem is when God blesses us, when our heart moves from being in love with God to being in love with the things that he's blessed us with, that we've got to keep our hearts yielded and tender and devoted to God in a state that he's free to bless us, but our devotion and love and trust never moves away from him. And Abraham is a beautiful example of this because God blessed Abraham exceedingly and abundantly. God's covenant with Abraham caused him to experience wealth 
God, God blessed him in real material ways. But even when he experienced the blessing of God, he never, he never allowed himself to become reliant on the blessing. He kept himself reliant on the one who provided the blessing. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. It says, Abram, later became Abraham, was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He, was, he wasn't just rich. He was very rich. And it tells us some of the ways that he, he had lots and lots of animals. He had lots and lots of gold. He had lots and lots of silver. So it wasn't some theological or theoretical riches. He was, he was a genuinely wealthy, wealthy man. But as much as God had blessed him with material wealth, his heart was still devoted and yielded and obedient to God to the point when he finally had the son of promise that he'd been believing for, he and his wife had been believing for. When God said, I want you to give me that, even the most precious thing he had wasn't off limits his response was, okay. He got up the next morning and, and went on his way to the place where God wanted him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. He kept his heart in a place where God could continue to bless him, but nothing was off limits from God. And when he went to sacrifice his son, if you know the story, God provided, he didn't, he didn't end up sacrificing his son. God stops him and provides, provides a ram for him to sacrifice. And in his willingness to sacrifice, even the most precious thing he had, he gains another revelation, a deeper revelation of who God is. It's where we understand God as Jehovah Jireh. God reveals a new aspect of his character in that, in that provision. God's provision, it wasn't about just the provision, right? God's provision was actually a way to reveal more about himself to Abraham and through Abraham to us. That God's provision wasn't just about the stuff, it was just a vehicle to carry revelation or to carry meaning, to carry understanding. Are you with me? This is important because when we talk about, when we talk about prosperity, people will gravitate to one of two ends of the spectrum. Either they'll hear about God's desire to bless. Maybe you, maybe you just heard that God, man, God delights in the prosperity of a servant. Okay, I'm going to cash in and they swing to one end of the spectrum. They become obsessed with stuff and God's, it's not really about God. God's just a means of a way for me to get blessed. Or they'll hear about the dangers of prosperity and they'll pursue poverty and think prosperity is, is a, a dirty word. We don't, want to do either one of those things. We want to keep our hearts loyal to the Lord, devoted to God, so that God can funnel blessings to us and through us. And we understand it's not just about the blessing, that God, God can bring meaning and reveal things to us about himself and use blessing as a vehicle to carry, to carry that revelation. I'll try to give you an example. My, my, my oldest daughter, I bought her a ring. I'll, I'll buy each of my daughters a ring. I've just done it for my, my oldest one so far. When I gave her that ring, it wasn't about jewelry, right? When I gave her that ring, it wasn't about, hey, you know what? You need some gold or what? I don't even know what. I think it's made out of gold. Whatever it's made out of. You know, it wasn't about, hey, we, you, you know, we're a family that really appreciates fine things. And I want you to have gold. Your fingers look too bare. I want you to start wearing jewels. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about any of those things. It was just a way for me to convey a message to try to attach a meaning to the ring and use that ring just as a vehicle to carry what I was trying to say to her. Are you with me? You know, there's, there's lots of different kinds of rings that you can buy someone. When I asked my wife to marry me, the ring that I, I presented her, it wasn't one of those you know, plastic like Halloween spider rings or, or, or something. That the ring I wanted to give her in that moment, you know, if, that, if that's that's what you provided your wife, and you know, I'm sure that she was 
not, not trying to condemn anybody. But in that moment, I wanted to give her the very best that, that I had the ability to give her, right? So when, when I gave her that ring, it wasn't about, you know, this ring is because I know you're obsessed with diamonds and gold, or I, you know, our relationship is built on uh, uh, us being obsessed with fine jewelry. It was that ring, that ring was conveying something that was more important than the ring itself. That that ring, you, you know, the fact that it was the best that I could is significant as well. If I say, I know when I ask you to marry me, I'm supposed to put something on my finger, so I don't know, we'll just put, you know, some, wrap some chewed gum, you can put a sock over your finger, I don't know, just anything. That would have conveyed something too, right? Just twist a, a bread tie on your finger, I don't know, put something on your finger. That would have conveyed a, a, a sloppiness, a lack of real commitment and devotion. But the fact that I brought my very best was saying, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been saving, I've been working towards this. You can see my heart and my commitment and what I'm bringing. And, and the, the meaning attached to the ring was more important than the ring, but the ring was an important vehicle to convey that, that message. I, I hope you're getting, because this is important. This is important. Now, the meaning was so much more important that if she lost that ring, she wouldn't be concerned about the dollar amount associated with the ring. If she, if she lost her wedding ring or her engagement ring, her, her uh, being upset wouldn't be based on, do you know how much money that just set us back? Do you know the, the dollar amount on that, on that ring? That wouldn't be why it bothered her. It would bother her because that, that, was, that was used to memorialize my desire for her, my commitment to her, a covenant that I wanted to have with her that we did form when, when we got married. The meaning attached to it was what really mattered. So we've got to keep our hearts devoted to God in a way that he can reveal himself to us through blessing and our, and our heart not move from him to the blessing because when that happens, we're no longer able to serve God. You know, when I, when I got down on my knee that day and, and held up the ring, if, if her eyes would have lit up and she became like Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob and just been like, oh, money, 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 money. And just, ah, oh, gold, silver, diamonds. If, if that would have been her response, you know, I, I would have been, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. It's not, forget the time, right? I, that, that was just, what I really wanted her to celebrate was my heart and the meaning I was attaching to that. But if she would have become obsessed with, with the gift that was conveying the message, the, the whole message would have been, would have been missed. So, so we've got to keep our hearts right so that God if God can't give you something without you becoming obsessed with the gift, what messages are we deafening our hearts to that God wants to convey? You know, sometimes I think about what, what can God give me? What, what can God give you? What's the biggest thing God can give you before your heart moves from him to it? What, what can your devotion to God handle? What kind of blessing, what kind of revelation of God's love and concern? What, 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 what can your relationship with God handle before your heart swings from him to the blessing? Because those, those blessings, you know, just using that ring again as an analogy, if she would have become obsessed with that ring, you're missing my heart. You're missing what I'm trying to say with this ring. You're missing the meaning that I'm trying to attach to this gift. I don't want you, I want you to appreciate it, but because you appreciate the message. God, God wants to reveal, just like he did in Abraham. God made a provision. It wasn't about provision, just for the sake of provision. It was about a revelation of who he is. So we've got to keep our, our hearts devoted to God, in love with God, 
so that he can funnel blessings to us, funnel blessings through us, but also reveal himself in us and through us by, by his blessing. But there's a spirit of mammon that wants to capture your heart and pull your devotion. This is a spiritual force at, at work that affects people's lives. A spirit of mammon that wants you to serve it instead of serving God, and it's subtle. Can approach us and, and make us think about things in just logical terms, just you know, using good sense. It doesn't really make a whole lot of financial sense to give my money away. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to trust a God that I can't even see. The spirit of mammon wants us to become self-sufficient, and usually when we talk about being self-sufficient, we're money, money-reliant. Spirit of mammon wants you to fall into that trap because if he can get you in that trap, you know what he also does? He makes it impossible for you to serve God. You would never come out and say you hate God. The Pharisees would have never said, we hate God. But the spirit of mammon had worked in their life so subtly, they fell in love with money, not realizing that that love was the same thing as hating God. We've got to guard our hearts, guard our hearts against that. Matthew chapter six, verse 25 Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Jesus is talking about, don't get focused on stuff and things and provision. He wasn't saying he wasn't saying we should be reckless in our approach to life. He wasn't saying we shouldn't be wise in the way that we steward what God has put, put in our hand. And he wasn't saying we should pursue poverty, that we should be more like birds. We should have the, the net worth of a sparrow, just pile up some hay in a circle and I'll just live, I'll live in that. That's not, what he, that's not what he was saying. The point of what he was saying was reliance on God, that God is the source. Just like God takes care of the flowers, just like God, God takes care of the birds, he'll take care of you if you understand that your heart needs to be on him and not on what you're wearing and what you're driving and, and what you're living in and focused on money, that our devotion needs to be to pursue him, to rely completely, completely on him. And it, this is so important for us to have our hearts right about understanding of, of the place of money. And it's not as simple, it's not as simple as saying money's good or money's bad. Because it comes back to our heart, where our heart is concerning money. You know, it's like sex. Is sex good or is sex bad? Well, I mean, it, it depends, right? And, and is, it, is it being done in alignment with the word of God or out of alignment with the word of God? Because sex has the ability to be a wonderful blessing, but it also can be terribly destructive. It comes back to, are, are, we, are we doing it in alignment with God's word in obedience or in disobedience? And the same thing is true with money. Are we handling finances in a way that is in obedience, in alignment with the word of God? Because money can be a great, great blessing, and money can be terribly destructive and keep you from serving God. So it's not money is good or money is bad. It's where is our heart? What is our heart devoted to? Because you can even find passages of Scripture that if we don't understand them properly, they almost seem to contradict. We could, I'll give you a few examples here in just a minute. But a passage of Scripture that talks about the dangers of money we need to be aware of. 
or how the blessing of God can produce wealth and how God wants us to prosper. And if we don't understand, those almost seem to, to contradict and people can build doctrines on one or the other and not allow scripture to shine light on scripture and reveal things to us. So let me give you a couple of examples. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 18 says, and you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. God gives us the power, the ability to create, to produce wealth. It ties in with the covenant that we have with him right? God, God gives, wealth can't be a bad thing if God is the one that gives you the strength and the ability to produce it. But if we don't understand this verse, our obsession in our heart can go to wealth and to success and to finances. But this, this passage, even though it's talking about wealth, it's directing our minds. It's directing our focus where? Where are you supposed to remember? Remember, you have an opportunity to cash in. Remember, you can get a lot of money. Remember wealth. No, it says, remember, remember the Lord your God. Let your heart and your mind be fixed on, remember the Lord your God. And out of that, he's the one that gives you the ability to create wealth. Let me give you another example. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So what, what, what should we pursue when we hear verses like that? We can hear that and say, okay, God gives me the, the thumbs up to pursue riches. But no, it's not riches that we're supposed to be after. We should be after God. It's the blessing of God, the blessing of God. God, I'm after you. I want your blessing. I want to stay in close fellowship with you. I want to walk in obedience. I want my relationship to be pure. The blessing of God makes a man rich and adds no sorrow with it. If you pursue riches on its own, it's full of sorrows. But if I pursue God and I keep my heart right with him, then I can enjoy the blessings that he wants to funnel to me and through me, but there's no sorrow affiliated with it. Amen? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrow. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not, not money, loving money is the root of all kinds of evil. When, when you don't just have money, but your devotion moves from God to money. And it says that some in their greediness or in their craving for riches Instead of pursuing God, instead of remembering God, instead of running after him, they shifted and began to run after becoming rich and wealthy. It says that they've pierced themselves through. They've pierced themselves with many, with many sorrows. Let me read chapter 16, verse 9 again. Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. So in this whole teaching about how we handle resources, this teaching where Jesus eventually gets to, you can't serve two masters avoiding the spirit of mammon. In the middle of this teaching, Jesus says, okay, here is the lesson. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. There's a, coming a point in time where your possessions will be gone. All this is temporary. Jesus says to use your earthly possessions to do good and to make friends. Again, he's not talking about prodigal son just getting a bunch of people that like you because you buy them stuff. He's talking about eternity. That when you get to eternity, those people, those friends that you made will be there to welcome you into your eternal home. That there is a way you can leverage the here and now to set you up for what is coming next. That there will be people in heaven, potentially because of you and because of the way that you used your resources. 
That's what Jesus is talking about. You can actually use your financial situation to advance the kingdom of God to the point when you arrive in heaven, there will be people waiting there to welcome you. Uh, Apparently, when we get in heaven, we'll have an awareness, we'll have a knowledge, an understanding of the people and the roles that they played that participated on making sure that I was able to get to heaven. There'll be people there potentially acknowledging, thank you so much, we're, we're welcoming, I'm here because of you. You know, we've talked about tithing in this series and talk about the the tithe is to be brought into the house of God wise so that there would be food, there'd be resources, that ministry could take place. You know, when when you tithe, you participate in each soul that's brought into the kingdom of God, each disciple that's made. Said last week, I think it was, I think the number was 18 people that came to know Jesus last Sunday. You know, if you were a tither, you participated in that. You're gonna have at least 18 people. We celebrated last week, I think in the last two years, we've got about 800 people in the last two years that have made decisions to follow Jesus. As a result, what takes place here as a church, you can praise God for that. You can also be excited, praise the Lord. You can also be excited that if you are somebody who is a tither, you participated in each one of those decisions. You you played a role in it. It's one of the reasons why it's important if you're gonna be a tither, and you should be, to make sure that you're tithing to a church that places an emphasis on people coming into the kingdom of God because it's going to matter when we get to heaven. That's the whole point. Jesus says, here's the point of the lesson. Use your worldly resources to make sure you've got some people waiting on you that end up in heaven because of the way that you handled you handled your money. And every time when we see that a teaching about being aware of a spirit of mammon, how you use your money, the way that we overcome the challenges of having blessing in our lives is making sure that we use our resources to promote the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter six, or I'm sorry, we'll read first Timothy first. First Timothy six, verse 17 says, command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This is the very thing we've been talking about. Command those who are rich. He doesn't say it's, it's wrong to be rich, but if you're going to be rich, you need to have this understanding. Don't allow your trust to go to your riches. Make sure that people who are rich, people who have means, people who have money, who is you, it's me. Make sure, command them, to keep their hope and their trust in God and not in the riches that they've been blessed with. Next verse, command them to do good. So again, I want you to see this connection. I've seen it several places. This is another one. When we're given instruction, make sure your heart doesn't move from God to stuff. Make sure you don't fall out of love with God and into love with money. Make sure you don't serve God, serve money and lose the ability to serve God. The instruction that is paired with that is use your money to advance the kingdom of God. So he just gives that instruction, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God wants you to experience life that is truly life, not what the world claims is life, not what the world claims is living by having a bunch of stuff, driving a certain car, living in a certain house. We're not against any of those things. But if your heart is engaged the wrong way, you'll, you'll, you'll be pursuing life, but missing out on the life God wants you to have. The way that you take hold of life that is really life is choosing to use your finances to build the kingdom of God. 
Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be over and over and over again. We're given instruction. Use your finances. You leverage what you have on the here and now. Don't go all in on now. Leverage it for what's coming next. Let me read one more passage. Then we're going to pray and I'll give you an opportunity to give. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Make sure, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. I want you to pay attention to that word afterward. You know, you know afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It, it was too late. It was too late. Even though he begged with bitter tears. You know the story of Esau, that he made a deal with his brother. He was so hungry. He wanted a meal so bad. He said, you can have my birthright. What good is that to me? I'm starving to death. Just give me that bowl of soup. I, I want that bowl of soup. So on one end of the decision, he loved that choice. It benefited him in the moment. It benefited him in the here and now, short term. But this is talking about afterward. There came a point in time where that same decision, that same decision he loved in the moment, afterward, it says that he, he wept with bitter tears. He, he wanted that decision to have gone, I wish I wouldn't have done that. There's coming an afterward in all of our lives. Every decision that you make, you can apply this to every area of your life. There's coming an afterward. Maybe you've experienced that to some extent. You made a decision to go all in on a moment, to uh, enjoy a pleasure, to experience something. You've had something that you did, a, a choice you made, thinking short term, and then a week later, a month later, 10 years later, you hated that decision. You saw it from a different light afterwards. Can anyone identify with that? Uh, a certain thing, man, I, I, in the moment, I was all in, but then afterward, afterward, I saw it in a different light. You see decisions in a different light afterward than you do in the moment. Amen? He's telling us Esau repented afterward, but it was too late, even though he wept with bitter tears afterward. The same decision, the decision he made afterward, he, he hated it. Now again, you can apply this to all kinds of different areas of your life. How you handle your, your time with your kids, how you handle your time with your spouse, how you interact with people at, at, at work. There's coming an afterward. Every decision you make, we need to make it through the lens that there's coming an afterward where I'm gonna see this thing in a different light. How will I think about this afterward? But ultimately, there's coming an afterward when this life is over, when this life comes to an end, because it will come to an end. Will you regret the way that you used your time and your resources and your opportunities? Will you see them in a different light and say, man, I, I weep with bitter tears. I wish I could go, but it's too late. The time for repentance has come and gone. Or will you be pleased with the way that you chose to leverage the opportunities that you had, the resources that you've had? That we want to be people not like Esau who make decisions just for the here and now, but we're thinking about what's going to come afterwards. That we're making decisions based on eternity, not on the short term, but on the long term. And how my resources can be used to pad the nest for me or to bring people into the kingdom of God. 
that afterward we won't be people who weep with bitter tears, regretting the decisions that we made. So I wanna give you an opportunity this morning, in just a moment. In fact, the way we'll receive our tithe and offering, in a few moments I'll ask the ushers to come up and put buckets. And I want you to bring your offering, to bring your tithe this morning. And here's what I'd like for you to do. You said that God, God will, will bring resources into our lives and attach meaning to it. It's not, it's not just about the money. It's not about a dollar amount. It's about the meaning attached to it. And when you prepare your tithe and your offering this morning, I want you to attach a meaning to it. Father, you know, it's, you've got my heart. Lord, I'm, I'm walking in obedience. I'm bringing this tithe, not out of religious obligation. I'm attaching a meaning to it. God, I'm yours. I'm entirely yours. I'll never allow my heart to move from, from you to stuff. Father, I'll never allow a spirit of mammon to pull my loyalty and my love away from you. Father, you have my heart. Lord, I attach the meaning of this tithe, the meaning of this offering. I'm attaching the meaning. You can attach what you want. We attach the meaning. Father, you, you, have, you have my heart. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.